All right, good morning, Celebration Church. Good morning. Oh, that was awesome. You guys are doing good today? Yeah. It's barbecue day. What's not to be happy about, right? <laughs> you know, some, someone once told me, if you cook it, they will come. And I love, I love barbecue, I love food, but more than that, I love people. So I'm really looking forward to just hanging out today. And um, as Katie said on Easter, I have something to prove when it comes to Nine Square. So it'll be out there having a lot of fun with all the kids. But I'm glad you've chosen to be here with us today. I'm glad that you're joining us online. And um, I'm, just, I'm just excited. I'm excited for this season. I'm excited to continue this series about the reigning love of God and um, with a new focus on it today. I know that on Easter we talked about how Jesus was uh, mocked and, and what he went through dying and then rising from the dead uh, for us. And that was an amazing day that we had on Easter. We discovered the clearest proof of his authority was not avoiding the cross, but it was overcoming the cross, defeating the cross and rising from the dead. I, I know that one of the most powerful things for me when I think of the Easter story is that, that Jesus could have got off the cross, but that wasn't the greatest show of his power and who he was. It was rising from the dead. It was conquering death. It was turning that from a symbol of defeat into a symbol of victory. And that's an amazing act of love. Last week, we, we talked about how we get to be united with Christ and we become a new creation. We've all done things in our past, but our past doesn't define us. Jesus is what defines us. He's the one who says, this is who you are. This is who I've called you to be. And he wipes away our past. He gives us a clean slate. And we talk about how his love just erases things that we may regret. He says, I get to make you brand new. That's the power of his love. And today we're going to keep talking about this, uh, this love that he has. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And let me, uh, let me pray for us as we dive in. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your amazing love that reigns um, just over our entire lives. God, I pray that today as we dive into your word, uh, we see that how your love affects us today is bigger than anything we could possibly imagine, God. I thank you that you've joined us in this place, and I ask that you touch every heart and that we just have an amazing time celebrating who you are and rejoicing in your unfailing, reigning love. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, now, as I've shared before, I was a children's pastor for 13 years. And it was awesome. I loved it. And one of the games we all used to play, this is a classic game, not even just children's ministry. This is just a game that everybody knows, is Simon Says. Is anyone here not familiar with Simon Says? I was expecting a handful of teens to go, what? Just for fun. But all right, everyone knows Simon Says. You know, it's a game on paying attention, right? You've got to listen to the words. You've got to do only what Simon Says. And it's a game that you can have so much fun with for the kids. So I thought real quick, I do a Simon Says with you guys, but I'm not going to make you get up. You can stay right where you are, but I want to test this out. So we all know how it works, right? So Simon Says, nod your head. All right, awesome. Simon Says, look left and right. All right, sweet. Um, Simon Says, clap your hands. Simon Says, louder. All right, you guys got this. Awesome, thanks. And some of you stopped, and Simon did not say it. Okay, Simon says stop. As soon as I said thanks, they're like, okay, we're done. But you lost. Lost the game. Simon says, we all remember this, right? Simon says is a test. Are you going to pay attention, or are you going to be willing to listen to those details? In the moment right there, can you catch on, or are you going to be tricked? Growing up, um, or one of the games we played at camp was we actually did reverse Simon Says, where we split the kids into two groups. And you would say, if you looked at one crowd and said, Simon says, clap your hands, it really was instructions for the kids behind you. And so you're spinning in circles, and you're getting kids confused, and it really was all about, are you going to pay attention? 
And it was a whole lot of fun. But the thing with Simon says, it's our willingness to listen to instruction or to ignore it altogether. What are you going to do? It's a test. Now, it's the test, I think, that actually can relate to our life because we've been given a will of our own. We've all been given a will of our own. And this will consist of our own desires and convictions and whether or not we're going to follow those convictions or not. Are we going to follow these convictions or are we just going to let them go aside and do our own thing? Now, as we live day to day, you know, we make thousands of decisions every single day. Every single day without even thinking about most of them. What are we going to wear this morning? What are we going to eat for breakfast? What route am I going to take to work? Am I going to call this person today? Am I going to do this? You make thousands of decisions without even thinking about it, but you really are deciding on one option or another every single day. And sometimes we have to weigh out those options, and we have to choose sometimes. Sometimes it's natural. Sometimes we really have to think, all right, what's going to be best for me today? One of the decisions I have to make every morning right now is, do I really want to get up and work out? I'm at that phase where I've shared I've been doing this, this healthy living thing for about a month now. And I'm still at the phase where I'm seeing great results, but that doesn't mean I'm excited to get up and do the workout every day. But it's the results to keep me going. But I have to decide, what's going to be best for me today, to do this or to do this? I've got to make this decision. Sometimes our decisions are influenced by what we are told to do. Sometimes we don't really have, we think we have much of a say. We are told to do something, so we're going to go do it. And sometimes we decide not to do what we're told. We find ourselves being obedient to voices around us, sometimes that don't even have the best interest in mind. I think we've all been there before, right? Someone has said, go do something. That person doesn't really have your best interest. They have their best interest, but they want you to do something, and you end up doing what someone else has influenced you to do. However, when we look at God's love for us, this gives us another option. This is to listen to his voice and knowing that he will make the best possible decisions for us every single minute of our day. We can listen to him knowing he's going to make incredible decisions. And our choices reveal something about each and every one of us. Our choices ultimately reveal who reigns in my life. Think about it. The choices you listen to, the choices you make, they will reveal who reigns in your life. The things we choose to do or not to do, they show who we're listening to. Are we listening to ourselves? Are we listening to others? Are we listening to somebody else? Our lives are largely made up, right, every day of all these decisions that we make. And this can be a painful or awesome litmus test to whom or what has our allegiance. Our past is, is a collection of wise decisions, of, unlined, of unwise decisions, this whole just magnitude of things we've decided to do. And last week we talked a lot about that, our past the fact that we all have one, we can look back on those. But when you look back on your past, you can start to decide and even think about it then. When I made that decision, who was in charge? All right, when I made this decision, who was in charge? Who was reigning over me when I did these things? We can start understanding our history of how we came to be where we are by seeing who we followed the most. How many of those past decisions now, when you look back on it, would say, how many of those were me reigning in my life? Or how many of those were God reigning in my life? Or you can look back when you were a kid and say, that was mom and dad reigning in my life, right? They gave me the instructions and I had to follow that. But I know in my life, I can, clearly, I can look back and clearly see moments where I knew I was in charge. Like, I am reigning in my life, I am doing this, and it led to some really poor decision making. For example, when I was in middle school, a very rated R movie came out. Rated R for all the rated R reasons. Being a high school boy, I wanted to go see this movie or middle school boy, I wanted to see this movie. So my, one of my older brothers, who was much older than me, and um, if you're watching this, I love you, you know who you are, 
he decided to take us to the movies, me and my younger brother, who uh, he's my, my stepbrother and I had birthdays just a month apart. So he, my older brother took us to the movies, and we lied to my mom. So we're going to go see this movie. And we went, and we saw the rated R movie. And we came back, and we lied again about what we saw. We made up things in this movie that we didn't even see because we didn't see the movie, but we made up scenarios. And that night, I had to pay the price when my older brother felt so guilty, he confessed to my mom what he had done. And then my mom came in and confronted me. Middle of the night, she woke us up. What movie did you guys go see? We lied again. What did you see? We lied again. And then the, the key line, students, if your parents say this line, know this, all right? I'm going to ask you one last time. At that point, they know, all right? They're just giving you a moment to fess up to this, right? I'm going to ask you one last time. What did you see? And we told her what we saw. And I remember the look on her face. It wasn't even angry. It was just hurt. And she was like, I'm so disappointed. I was like, no, just be mad. Just be mad. Don't be disappointed. She said, I'm so disappointed that you would lie to me about this. And that took a toll on me, knowing that I had just hurt my mom. All that to say, in that moment, I made that decision. I was the one who was reigning my life. And then I had to realize that was not a good path to go. Fast forward now into high school. I was very much into sports. I played baseball. I played football. I loved to play sports. I was on a bunch of teams, and, and I was fairly good. But God put a big call on my life one year at camp. As much as I wanted to pursue sports, and my dad and I had, he had invested a lot into me in my sports, and I thought I was going to go to college and I was going to play. And in my, in my mind, like every young sports-minded mind, you, you have the dream to go pro when you're putting money and time into it. And that was on my mind. Like, I want to I go all in and see if I can do this. God put it on my heart to change a shift in my direction, and he really called it on me to start pursuing ministry and looking into being a pastor or a children's pastor at that point was what he had really put on my heart. But I can look back at that point and say, I had a moment in my life right there where I decided I was not reigning. God was going to reign. He was going to be the one that started fueling my decisions. He was clearly in charge. I think uh, the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about living lives under the influence of God rather than the influences of the world. He frequently focuses on this topic because as followers of Christ and people who have responded to the love of God, we ought to learn, we need to learn that the reigning love in our lives, it will rule over our decisions and God makes the best ones. But often we don't always choose that and it's not always the case in our everyday life. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, Paul begins by saying that every instruction he's about to give must be seen through a very specific lens to understand where he's coming from, to fully grasp this new way of living in the present. We all have to see life in a certain way. And I, I think his, his, his words can't be appreciated any other way. But we're going to see here how Paul really talks about how, you know, God loves, God's reign, uh, his love reigns in our past, but also his love reigns right here, right now in our present. Right here, right now in our present. It's not just the past. It's not just something we look forward to. It's something we get to experience each and every day. And it's all based off how we look at our lives and how we look at God working in our lives. So, Last year, my family and I, you know, we had moved up here, and we took advantage of uh, going to visit my sister, Katie, my younger sister, the youngest in, um, second youngest, there's 15 of us, it's hard to keep track of who's where sometimes. 
But one of my youngest sisters, Katie, she works in Montana. And so we took the advantage of, we're, we live so close to her now, and it was a four-hour drive, but that's better than like the 24-hour drive that it used to be, right? So we got to go see my sister Katie in Montana. She works for a group called Youth with a Mission. And they're an, an excellent program that, that helps young adults and um, people that either just graduated from high school or college age really find what God is calling for their lives and really helps them explore and dive into the goodness of God. She went and uh, did a Youth with a Mission missions project, and she ended up being on staff now with them. So we got to go see her. First time in Montana. And I'll tell you, if you haven't been to Montana, it is gorgeous over there. We, we drove through the mountains, and we got to do, I forget what the name of the trail was, but it was uh, miles and miles long of going up and around these mountains, and it was just gorgeous looking out. It, we got to the point where we're at the top, and I wish I had binoculars to, to see out and over everything we're looking over. It was beautiful. Now, often, and I didn't see very many of these there, but often if you go to a place like that where you go up and you're on the top of a mountain and you're looking out over this incredible view, sometimes you'll see one of those fancy binocular machines, right? You put a quarter in and you can look and you can just start gazing out. And what you can see in those is beautiful. It's amazing what 50 cents will get you, right? But the lens brings you so close to something that is so far away. And I think in our life, we have a lens that we can look through. The lens through which we look at our life changes everything because a lens will change your point of view. The lens at which we look through our life will change everything because it changes your point of view. And I think that this is Paul's goal in this passage. He's, getting, he's offering us a lens to start seeing our life through to see how God works in us today. He wants us to reorient the way we see our present situation. And he says this there. One of the first lines of the verse says, in view of God's mercy... In view of God's mercy, this is the lens. He's saying, when you look at your life, put this lens in front of it first. In view of God's mercy, just this one thing can crazy change your perspective. Can crazy change the way you see the world around you. Can crazy change the way you see yourself right now. And I love that it says in view of God's mercy. Paul doesn't say in view of God's wrath. In view of God's judgment. In view of God's anger. In view of, of your failure to follow God, it doesn't say those things. It says, in view of God's mercy. We get to, we get to view this life of our, the lens of our life with mercy, with love, with acceptance, with forgiveness, and that starts to shape and change how we interact every day. How many of us uh, walk around grumbling and complaining over current circumstances, right? And it's not asking anyone to raise your hand unless you want to be real vulnerable with everybody. But how many of us do that? We walk around and we say, oh man, this stinks. Oh man, life is doing this. Man, life is hard. And it's, it becomes kind of an attitude, right? The, the grumbling and complaining. We, we often can be really unsatisfied with, with the lot in our life. And so we try to do things on our own. We try to take control and we try to do things to please ourselves, but sometimes we need that lens change. We need that perspective shift to see something from a different way. Take a look at these two pictures. They, they offer a great view of how perspective can change. So look at picture number one here. All right, you always want what you don't have. You've got a guy on an island, right? He's yelling, it's a boat! But then look right under. You've got a guy on a boat yelling, it's land! Talk about a perspective change, right? Both guys are so excited, and I can't imagine how disappointed they are both going to be <laughs> when, they, when they interact, right? The guy on the boat is finally, the guy on the land is finally sees a boat. He's saved. The guy on the boat finally found land. He's saved. You wonder, are they going to switch? <laughs> you stay here. I'm going to go sail off now or what? But, but look at the perspective of each person. It totally changes where, you know, where their situation changes how they see what is happening with the person coming at them. They both want what the other has. Now look at this second picture. 
Here, we've got the same tree, but we've got four different people looking at it. Like the first guy in the top left corner, you know, he looks at the tree, and he's like, lumber. We, we can build something with this, right? Second guy, lumberjack. He's like, yeah, firewood. This tree will be put good use. Third person down at the bottom, they're thinking furniture. We can really construct some fun stuff out of this. Then we got the kid, tree. He just sees it what it is, right? Nothing special there. That is a tree. But, but I love that when you look at all four of these people, they're all looking at the exact same thing, but the lens at which they're looking at it through totally changes what this is to them. It changes the possibilities. It changes everything in that moment. And even though the kid says just tree, I mean, you, you give a kid a tree and time, they're, they're, they're climbing the tree, they're playing on the tree. There's so many things they could do with that tree. Wherever you are in your life, you're going to have a lens that you look at things through. And we have an incredible opportunity to look at the lens of our life through God's mercy, and that'll shift everything. We get to this invitation to see things differently. God's been so merciful to, to, to you. He's been so merciful to me. More merciful, more merciful than anyone or anything in history could ever be. That's the God we get to look through. That's the God we get to be with. He's offered us a fresh start to repentance, to forgiveness, to acceptance because of his mercy. He loves us unconditionally because of his mercy. That alone can, can change our present. That can change you right now. It doesn't have to be something that happens later. That love, that mercy, that reigning love that God gives us can change everything today when we let it. It can help us change our present by helping us move our focus from what we want to have done for us for the things he already has done or is doing right now. When we turn our attention to the mercy of God, then we're compelled to live our lives as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God, like this verse says. And, and the concept, this concept of a sacrifice, this is rich with imagery and history for the audience Paul is speaking to. A sacrifice is no foreign thing to people in this time. They know very well what it means to, to sacrifice something to God. So, but Paul says this, and when they were talking sacrifices, it involved taking the life of an animal, right? Whether it was a goat, a sheep, a lamb, a bird. There's so many things in scripture where people had to offer what they had. There were even exceptions in the sense of if you don't have one of these, then use this. So people were familiar with the act of a sacrifice. But one thing was constant, it involved death. A sacrifice involved death and the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus being the ultimate death, his blood that washed away our sins, right? A sacrifice involved death and it offered life. So Jesus' death was considered ultimate and perfect. So, so why does Paul use this imagery of a living sacrifice when that kind of contradicts each other, right? A sacrifice is something dead. How are we supposed to be a living sacrifice right now? But we get a glimpse of this in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, 16 and 17 says, You do not delight in the sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in the burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Do you think the author of Psalm 51 is really bringing forth to light what the sacrifice is? It wasn't just about the sacrifice itself. This was the system the Jews had. It really was about the heart behind the sacrifice. It wasn't just a sacrifice. God wanted the heart behind it. He wanted to know that you were doing this from yourself, not just a routine, not just a, oh, I got to do this now because we have to. God was saying, I want your heart. Your heart will lead, make this important to me. The true sacrifice of a follower of Jesus was the contrite heart and the obedient spirit. And that's what God is looking for now since Jesus already paid it. 
Jesus was that sacrifice. So now God is saying, the sacrifice is no longer needed. I want your heart, and you get to be a living sacrifice. And when you think about it, being a living sacrifice is a lot harder than being a dead one. The dead one doesn't get to choose anything. It's dead. It's out. It's gone. The dead one doesn't get to decide, I'm going to get up today. I'm going to move today. The dead one has to stay on the altar. It is a done deal. It can't think for itself. It can't think, what am I going to do tomorrow? Am I going to make a good decision today? It's out of decisions. It's out of time. A dead sacrifice is done. But a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice gets to say, every day I get to decide, am I going to do this? Every day am I going to walk towards God? Every day am I going to give myself to him or am I going to go back to old ways? I'm going to go back to my old self. A living sacrifice can crawl off the altar whenever it wants to. And that's easier than staying on. A living sacrifice gets to constantly make that decision that says, today I'm not going to live for me. Today I'm going to let the love of God reign in my life. Today I'm going to be dead to myself. I'm going to be dead to my desires. I'm going to be dead to my agenda. I'm going to be dead to my wants. And I'm going to live sacrificially for God. I am alive for God. I live for God, dead to myself, but alive in and through him. Today, I will decide, put myself aside, put him first. And we get to be a part of his day. I love that scripture says, man, today is the day that the Lord has made, right? I will be glad and rejoice in it. We get to do that every day. We get to do it every single day. Um, sometimes, um, and this, this happens all throughout, just not just today, but all throughout time, you'll, sometimes you'll ask someone, you know, hey, good morning. And sometimes people will say, what's good today? I love that even in the worst circumstances, you can say, you know what's good? God is good. And I can say that about every single day that I wake up. God is good. Paul says that in view of this good God and his mercy to be that living sacrifice, live a life right now in the present and let his love shape how we move. Paul goes on in Romans Chapter 12, verse 2, continuing, he gives us the ultimate outcome of living the sacrificial life. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the world around us has, has so many patterns that lead to a broken life, but, but the will and the word of God will not lead to that broken life. It'll lead to a full, fulfilled life because we're living out his purpose for us. But the world, man, the world is marked by, by patterns of greed, patterns of selfishness. There's patterns of pride, envy, and gossip. And, and these patterns are easy to fall into. And, you know, once you fall into a pattern or routine of something, it's not easy to change, right? You start getting into a rhythm. And even if it's the wrong rhythm, once you're in the middle of it, it is so hard to step out sometimes. It's so hard to transform. But they're called patterns and routines because they're often done mindlessly but also because patterns can be identified. Patterns can, can be changed even. And I think the big thing here when we look at the patterns of life is changing your patterns will change your life. Changing your patterns will change your life. With a little attention, patterns can be easily identified. It, it's a skill that we've been learning from childhood. For example, I got some more pictures for you. Here's some patterns. So if you were to look at the, the top one, what would the next shape be in this pattern? We got a green triangle, right? Looking at the next pattern, we got the, the square, circle, circle, square. What would the, the next one be? We got a circle, okay. Now, last one, like these are not trick questions, right? We got circle, triangle, triangle, circle. What's the next one gonna be? Triangle. Now, what's funny is someone actually offered me a different point of view on these. They said, oh, so you're doing that pattern. What if you looked at it this way? So we look at the, the picture again. 
square, triangle, square. Do you know what they said the next one could be? Square. Because they said, what if that's the pattern that repeats? Square, triangle, square. Square, triangle, square. I was like, I didn't even look at the pattern that way. So following that pattern, what would the next one be for line two? Another square. And then you'll say, you guys are smart. You got this, right? And then the next, the next one, what, we had the, what would start that one? I said square. This guy. This guy. Of course, there it is. Right? But here's the thing. We can identify the pattern, whether it was the first pattern or the second pattern, we can identify the pattern. There's no surprises. You can all clearly deduce and see what is coming next, right? Except for you, Theoden. You blew it. The same can be true in our lives, though. We can see the patterns in our lives. If we start making decisions and we see what those lead to, whether it's a good consequence or bad consequence, we can see the decisions that we make. We can look back and say, when I did this, this was the result. And then we can see in our lives, oh, look, I'm still doing this, and this is still the result. We have the ability, when we see this pattern, to change the pattern. When you look at today, you can make decisions, and probably a lot of us will make decisions based off of patterns in our lives. But if we see an outcome that we don't like, we can change it. We can offer a new perspective. We can look at something and say, hey, this is what happens when I'm reigning. If we let God reign, that pattern starts to shift. And then we start to get into a new groove of life with what he's doing in us. And it's so much better than when we run our own pattern. To identify patterns, sometimes we just got to change our perspective. To identify the pattern, just change your perspective. And I think this is the reason Paul tells us to see life in view of God's mercy. When we understand God's love and mercy for so many of us, we find the reason to transform, the reason to renew our lives and our, and our minds. So, so maybe you've developed a pattern of talking down to yourself. Um, working, working with kids and teens for as many years as I did, that was a very common thing amongst young adults even, talking down to yourself. You make a mistake and what's the first thing you say? I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. Why did I do this? And you start negatively talking about yourself. But you know what's going to happen when you talk negatively about yourself? you start feeling more and more negative about yourself. You're not going to get to the point where you get to do that shift. It makes a very conscious shift to see that there's someone, whether it's a person around you, a friend, a loved one, or even God does not look at you as a stupid person. Looks at you as someone that he loves. Breaking the pattern. Don't conform to it any longer. Maybe you notice a pattern of, of being uh, unhonest with people around you. You know, that's a pattern in your life where you, you let a little lie come in, a little lie come there. But all that does is leads to more lies and a more deceptive lifestyle. Don't conform to it. Change the pattern. Maybe you've seen a pattern of laziness in your life, a pattern where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to not do this even though I know I need to. And you see the results of that. Well, you know what? Don't conform to that pattern. Don't let that be what runs your life. Break it. Experience something new. I know it's easier said than done, but I know that every day when we wake up, we have a chance to experience a brand new day of God's love and mercy. Every single day you wake up, every single time you get a new pattern going in your life, every morning you get a chance to say, God's love, God's mercy, this is what's going to rule my day. We experience it every day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that means don't look at your latest mishap, your latest bad decision, your latest lapse in judgment, your latest moment where you sink, and don't let that be something that sinks you back into bad patterns. Look at it as a moment where you get to say, all right, God, we get to have a conversation now, and I get to experience your newness right now. I get to make a decision in this moment, not tomorrow, 
not the next day. I get to make a decision right now to say, I'm going to take this opportunity to experience your love, your mercy, which is new every single day. But don't forget our part. We get to experience it, but we've got to make that decision to make that change. We've got to say, all right, God, I'm going to do this now. I am all in for you. I'm going to follow you. Let your next decision today be one that shows his love reigns in your life today. Not just tomorrow, not just next week. Let it be something that starts today. And lastly, we get to trade our will for God's will. We get to trade our will for God's will. And I think this is one of the hardest ones because we've all heard this line, whether you've said it or your kids have said it, you're not the boss of me. Very common line, right? This is a hard one. Be willing to say, you're not the boss of me. I hear my daughters saying that to each other all the time. And we have a, we have a great line in our house when, when they say something. They'll do something going off and this and that. We go, who are you in charge of? Myself. Okay, so now this conversation's over, right? <laughs> we, get to, we get to move past this now. You're in charge of yourself. But how many of us have said that, or we hear someone else saying it when they give an instruction, you're not the boss of me. Well, if we want to walk with God, if we really want to say, I'm all in, God, I want your love to reign in, in me today, we have to look in the mirror, look at your own reflection, and we have to say that to ourselves. You're not the boss of me. Then we get to look up and say, you are the boss of me. Let his will take over our will. Today it's God. He gets to make the decisions. He gets to guide the decisions. The ultimate outcome of a sacrificial life and renewed mind is the ability to distinguish God's will in your present life. I mean, how many of us today have struggled wondering what decision to make about this, what decision to make about that? And then if we think about it, we go, man, I don't even remember the last time I prayed about this. I know I'm guilty of that through many different times in my life where I'm doing my best to, whether it's crunching numbers or crunching schedules and figuring out what am I gonna do? And then I get to the point where I'm like, God, I'm trying to do this on my own. I, I, really, need to, I really need you to help me make this decision. Really, I really need you to show me this is what you need me to do. I don't want to make an emotional decision that's going to last a really long time because I didn't talk to God first. I want him to show me his reigning love right now. What if we were to trade some of the time and energy that, that we use to spend on old patterns and create new patterns? Instead of dwelling on the past or falling into the old things, what if we said, I'm going to take all that time and energy and I'm going to start something brand new in my life? I bet you anything you'll see better outcomes, bigger outcomes, because when those patterns are reflecting the ones that God is directing, man, he, he's got something not always going to be easier. Don't, don't mistake bigger and better for easier, but hear that for what it is. It will be better. It will always be better. Under the, the reign of love and mercy in your life, we've got to make decisions to change patterns. Maybe that decision means I'm going to spend more time in prayer. Maybe that's a pattern that you haven't even really started yet, but it's something you, you want to get going. Make that a pattern in your life, a daily routine where you say, I'm going to pray more. Make it a time where you say, I'm going to spend time in scripture more. I'm, I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to read. On, on a, I'm going to make this schedule for me. I'm going to spend time here and let God's word really flow into my heart and then flow out of my life. Maybe a pattern you need to... Uh, jump into it and make more in your life is serving others. You say, hey, you know what? I've been doing a lot of me stuff, me stuff. Maybe I need to take some time and just go help others. Really really do what, what God has talented me with and share it with other people around me and bless them. Maybe it's a pattern you need to just sit and listen to God. Maybe you're in the, this phase of life where you're just go, 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 busy, busy, and you can't even think of the last time. When have I decided to schedule out a pattern in my life where I'm just taking time to listen? for that still small voice and get God's direction. Proverbs speaks about this truth. It says in one of the most popular verses in scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, 
Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And when we trust in God and, and we lean on him and we understand him, we stop, we stop putting it all on ourselves, we begin to see the straight paths God has for us. We begin to see our life that's all crazy and twisty and turning start to go, here's where it goes. Here's the direction God has for me. This trust, is, it speaks of a trust that God's love is always seeking the best, and we can rely on that love to always give God our best and all of us when we do it. There, there's an old story of a, on a farm. We have a chicken and a pig, and they worked, or they, they were under the care of an incredibly loving farmer. So the chicken and the pig decided, we're going to do something for this farmer. We, really, we love our farmer. Let's do something. So they're brainstorming, and the chicken goes, I've got a great idea. For breakfast, let's make him bacon and eggs. And the pig thinks about this and says, all right, for you, that's a contribution. For me, that's a whole commitment. So my question for you today is, where is your commitment when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? Are you a chicken or are you the pig? Funny way to look at it, but think of the story, right? Are you committed to the point that you're only willing to make a contribution to God? Where you say, you know what, God, I'm going to give you just this little bit. Or are you the pig where you say, man, if I'm going to do this, I've got no choice but to be all in. I am totally committed to seeing what God is going to do in my life right now. Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to say, God, take all of me. Take all I am right now. Let your love reign in me to the point where I'm putting my mind, my body, my spirit, my very life into your hands. Because I trust you and I trust your love even more than I trust myself. Now, if you're a parent, you know that it's not, always, it's not always fun and easy, this parenting gig, right? I certainly love and enjoy both my kids, but there are a fair share of struggles along the way, as every parent has with their kids. There's always struggles. My kids have a will of their own. My youngest, Avery, turned six today, and she is, yeah, she made it. <laughs> but I tell you, she is tiny, but God gave that kid an iron will. They have wills of their own, they have desires of their own, and often they have desires that conflict with my desires for them, and it can be a struggle. The most difficult thing sometimes to teach our kids is that they can trust me. Even when it's a decision that they don't want, something that they're like, oh, dad, why? I want them to trust that this is why. This may not be fun. This is going to be difficult, but this is why we're doing it, and I want them to trust me for it. I want them to know that they can trust me because I love them so much. When I say no to something, instruct them in some way, or even discipline them, I'm doing it because I love them, because I want what's absolutely best for them. Trust is a hard thing to teach, and it's really, really hard to earn, but you know what's really easy about trust? It's easy to lose. Trust can be really easy to lose. If we're going to live this full life of, for God that he has for us, we've got to trust in his way Trust in his love. Trust that his path is better than ours. Trust that his love reigns today in our present and know that nothing God does will ever make you trust him less. It may make you question. It may make you wonder. I have lots of questions for God, things that have happened in my life where I'm like, I don't know why this happened. When, when I've, I've had three of my siblings pass away in my life and I can still look and say, God, I, I don't know why it had to be that way, but I can trust that every decision he's made in my life has made me better. Every decision he's made has led me on this incredible journey with him and I know I can trust him because I know how much his love is to me and how much his love reigns in my life every single day.
He's trustworthy, and he loves you more than anything. It's not just something in the past. It's something we get to wake up to every single day. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team back up, and would you all stand with me this morning as we bring this portion to a close? I want to invite you to, to pray in a very specific way today. I want you to, to offer up today patterns in your life that you know don't follow God. Offer up, offer up patterns in your life where you say, you know what, God, I want you to take over this. I want to create something new for you today because I know that the patterns you will build are far better than the patterns I will build. I want you, us all to pray for God, to trust God that his love will lead us forward. His mercy became a reality, a transforming reality through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. This mercy is a result of his love for us, and this love invites us to a totally different present, a totally different morning each and every day. The world around us can be deceptive, can be selfish, can be angry, and a lot of that has the ability to bleed into our lives and find little ways to, to sneak in. But when we give it all to him, we can let him weed those out. Let him weed out the things that aren't of him and let our lives be transformed for him. Be that living sacrifice and don't take this the wrong way, but be the pig. Be the pig. Say, I'm, we're going to go eat some pig today. It's going to be great. Be the pig. Say, I'm all in. Don't leave, hold anything back. Don't leave anything out. Be all in. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And I thank you that, that your love reigns over our entire lives. God, I pray that in this present, in this moment, God, we identify things that aren't of you and we offer those up. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, God. Someone that says, I could do this, I could do that, but instead I choose to be dead to myself so I can live for you. God, and I pray that as we do that, God, as we have fellowship with another, as we offer our lives to you, we see your transforming work in us and those around us. So God, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done, and I pray that you just transform us today. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.